It's good to be back. I This is my first time in like the last, f I think I've been out of the pulpit for five weeks at least, but eight total uh, over the course of this summer. Thank you to uh, those who have filled uh, my shoes up here and really uh, just proclaimed the word of God to us. Ken last week did a phenomenal job, did he not? Right? Jeremy has stepped in, Trevor has stepped in, Joel Paris uh, has stepped in for us. Jeremy stepped in a couple of times. And so uh, I'm eagerly anticipating just a moment to be back here. You know uh, that through some emails, if you're a part of our... Um, if you're a part of our weekly emails or updates, that, that we, I, I've been wanting and hoping that you would join us this morning in kind of a, a, a reset. Uh, in our uh, church together, or maybe not uh, as much a reset, maybe it is that, but maybe just a, a, a time out where we can just say for a moment, Holy Spirit, what do you have for us? Like, are we faithfully living what you call us to as disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of the mottos of the Reformation uh, that was started by Martin Luther and then carried on by the Reformers is, is reformed and always reforming, meaning the church is always calling herself back to the gospel and back to a willingness to open our hands up around the, what the scriptures call the people of God to and, and to begin to measure ourselves and to say, are we in the sweet spot? Are we awakened to the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are we unified as a church family? Are we doing what Christ commissions us to do? And so that's what this morning is about. If you're a guest with us, you're kind of in on a bit of a, a family conversation. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, next week, we're going to start into Galatians, and Galatians will carry us through the fall. So we'll spend about nine weeks solid or so in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. This morning, I'm not going to be really anchored in a text. I'm going to be just kind of sharing what God is doing in my life and heart. There's going to be a lot of scripture around it, but it, it's probably more of a topical sermon, which or a topical message, which is not something that we do often around here, but does have great benefits. So uh, I'm, I do want to anchor us in a text to just give uh, some scope and some background to, to what I want resonating over us as a church family. And you hear this in our invitation to worship on Sunday mornings, and it goes like this. Come to me, these are the words of Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, Jesus says, and my burden is light. I want that to kind of be the background track this morning as we consider God's word together and what the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, what the Father is calling us to today. I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Father, um, be glorified. Jesus, this morning, be made much of. Holy Spirit, awaken us to the reality that you, God, are present with us this morning. Cause us to be simultaneously filled with joy and fully serious about you, who you are, who we are in light of you, and what you call us to. Be glorified in your church. God's people said loudly, Amen. Amen. I have a dilemma, and I need your help with it. 
If you, if you see this banner right here, it says that we exist to see the inland Northwest and the nation saturated with, Jesus, with, with the good news of Jesus. This is our vision statement. This is our driving vision as a church. But what I'm realizing increasingly, maybe this is a duh moment for you, but it hasn't quite been for me, that I am powerless to see this take place. I am powerless to saturate the inland Northwest and the nations with the good news of Jesus. There are 156,000 people in Kootenai County. There are 506,000 people in Spokane County. That doesn't even encompass all of the inland Northwest. There's something like 750,000 people in the inland Northwest. And I am recognizing, like, I can hardly saturate my family, my nuclear in-the-home family with the good... I can hardly saturate my own soul with the good news of Jesus. Like, I am recognizing my powerlessness and how great my need is of empowerment and awakening by God himself. Because if he doesn't show himself to me, and show me a way forward, I am hosed. And so are you. And so are we together as a church family. Gospel saturation, it cannot, it will not happen without the Holy Spirit enabling us and empowering us. In all great movements of awakening, whether it's the great awakenings in the United States and the UK, or whether it's the Jesus movement in Orange County in the 1960s and 70s, or the the Hebrides revival in Scotland, or these various revivals that have taken place in the land, there there are common denominators always, always, always at play. And the one that undergirds all of them is the Holy Spirit causes his people to devote themselves to prayer. You know that as a church family, if you've been a part of all of life for any time, kind of we take a theme each year and we give ourselves to the theme. And this year has been the giving, giving ourselves to the theme of prayer. We've just concluded a series called Praying the Psalms, learning to pray the Bible, learning to let the Bible shape our language of prayer. It's all right. Stay focused on me up here. The, the, the scriptures can greatly empower us, give us words, new language, new ways of approaching God that we just don't come up with ordinarily in kind of our humdrum, repetitious living. And so this is always a common denominator that the people of God are, are devoting themselves to prayer, but also his people devote themselves to making disciples. They devote themselves to the individual and the corporate work of spiritual formation. Seeing to it that that we are practicing the way of Jesus. We are on the pathway, living as he lived, as the Apostle John would say. But as well, churches will dwell together and work together in unity. These are always marks of great movements of God. And yet we can't make God move. We don't just put up a tent outside, throw some hay bales in it, and have an old-fashioned revival. God is sovereign And he does as he pleases all of the time. Time out. Will someone open that back door, please? Because this overhead fan is on and it's hard on the fans. You can hear that ratchet up when the door is closed. He's sovereign. He does as he pleases. 
And yet, we can as his people, and we should, and he does call us as his people to tune our ears to him and to ask him to awaken us to his reality. We cannot strategize spiritual awakening. We cannot program it. We cannot plan it. And yet, we can tune our own hearts, our own ears to crave the presence of God. To crave the experience of his presence. I don't know, I could barely hold myself together earlier while we were singing. I'm not a weepy guy. I'm not, I don't cry often. I don't tear up often. But there was something about the music in this room and the power you could feel. It was palpable. The Holy Spirit is with us. Thank you for giving your gifts to the church so that we might experience that, musicians. We tune our ears, we tune our hearts to the presence of God, and then we pursue a way of life that keeps us attentive to his presence, to him, to wanting him, not just his benefits, but him, his presence, what you felt earlier in this room. When I think when I when I think through the Old Testament and I just look back to the patriarchs, thinking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these men, these fathers of Israel's faith, were the promise that God would be a bless, that God would send blessing uh, to all nations through Abraham. They all had a this divine encounter where they, as men, experienced and the women around them experienced the presence of God, and it marked them. And we can read about it. In the pages of Genesis, where they were marked by their encounter around and with the presence of God. And I think about Moses in Exodus 33, where he has just led Israel, been the leader of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt, and, and they're wandering in the desert, and, he, and, and Moses encounters God, and God is telling Moses to lead them into the promised land, but Moses knows that there are tribes and peoples in this promised land that will war against them as Israel tries to move in, and he understands that it's going to be difficult, he understands that it's going to be full of conflict. He understands that it is going to uh, equate to great hardship on his part as he continues to lead the people of Israel. And he basically has this conversation at the beginning of Exodus 33 where he says, if your presence isn't with me, Lord, I don't want any piece of it. I don't want to go if you're not there with me. I don't want to plan. I don't want to strategize. And I don't want to just bail out there into the countryside. If you are not empowering all of this, I need to be sure yet again that you're with me. And God answers Moses and he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In the face of great hardship, God, in the kind heart of our Father, He says, I will go with you. My presence will be there. And not only that, but in, in, in great uh, just spending of energy and resources, I will, in the midst of all of that, I'll give you rest. It's going to be tough, but you will find your soul satisfied by and in my presence. And then Moses, he, he's through some disobedience, he's not able to go into the promised land, but he leads the people right up and he has a successor named Joshua. And in Joshua 1.5, Joshua is unsure of the task before him, doubting himself. God says to him, he says, just as I was with Moses, quote, so I will be with you. 
And then he says something else right at the end of that. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Foreshadowing words that we're going to hear in the new covenant through our Savior. And Joshua follows Yahweh faithfully. And God never fails him. As we progress through the history of redemption, we, saw, we see God continually calling his people to seek his face. Calling his people to seek him, to love him, to engage him. And history teaches us that people, that our hearts, that humanity's hearts are restless until they find their resting place in God. It's a quote from Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you. We see that in the story of Israel where Israel is walking in obedience and in awareness of the presence of God. He's leading them. He's guiding them. He's going before them. But when they turn from him in disobedience, his presence does not pull away. His presence is very much still there, but it's working in opposition to them. His presence is always here. It's not as if it ever isn't. It's The question is, are we living with an awareness of the presence of God? And are we walking according to the call of God upon our lives? And then, as history continues, Jesus emerges. The second Adam emerges. He craves the Father's presence. We see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these accounts of the life of Christ. He craves the Father's presence. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact imprint of his nature, which is the author's way of telling us that Jesus himself is God. The man who is God, Jesus Christ, craves communion, union with his father. And we see him sneaking off early in the morning and late at night to, 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 to be in the presence of his father, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see that, we see record of that even in the obscurity of his childhood all the way up until 30 years old where his family is in Jerusalem worshiping at the temple. They, in a caravan of family and friends, go home in all of the melee. Jesus isn't there with them. Two days journey, they realize he's not here. So they have to go back and they find him in the temple in Jerusalem. Would you not know that I was going to be in my father's house? Jesus says to him as a little kid. What? I want that kid. Well, that, that, that's the record of his life. And then he's baptized and the father speaks. The father's presence is there with Jesus. The people who are there seeing and witnessing Jesus be baptized, experience the presence and the favor of God as they're looking on Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by his enemy and ours. And the Father's presence, the Holy Spirit's presence, sustains him as he goes without food and water for a month and a half. And then we continue to see this record in Jesus' life, the three years of his public ministry, where he's just, he's, he's marked by a dependence and a want. It's a desire to be in the presence of God, to live in awareness of the presence of his Father, and to operate from it. And as Jesus Christ is refreshed and renewed 
By being in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of his Father, he teaches and he forms his disciples who are themselves renewed and formed in his presence by living and abiding in the presence of Jesus Christ. This is why these guys and these women are so fearful when he starts chit-chatting about why he's going to go away and leave them. Where are you going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? Like, we want to be here. We, you, you cannot go. And you see and you feel on the pages of the Gospels, you see this fear crop up in the people of God's hearts, these disciples' hearts, because they want the presence of the man who was God there with them continually. And Jesus, as he leaves them bodily, he gives them two kind of great commands, the great commission and the great commandment, the great commandment from Deuteronomy 6 and repeated by Jesus is, you probably know it if you've been around the scriptures of the church for any length of time, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we see this perfectly embodied in the life of Jesus Christ as he loves the Father, he loves the Spirit with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's craving the presence of God. And as he pours out his soul to the Father and the Father pours his love into the heart of Jesus Christ. There is just all of this overflow in his life and he continues to give out of his life to the disciples and the people around him. That's the great commandment. And then there's the great commission where he was literally in the moment of leaving them bodily where he said, go therefore. He, he said all, first he frames it by saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he gives them this commission. He alongside them. He alongside us. Go into all of the world. Go to all of the nations and baptize them into the name of the Father and into the name of the Son and into the name of the Holy Spirit, into the identity that I speak over you and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them my teachings. Teach them my way of life. Live my way of life. Teach them my way of life. And then Jesus gives this promise. What is it? I'll be with you always to the end of the age, echoing exactly what God said to Joshua. I will never leave you or forsake you. Just as I was with Moses, my presence will be with you. That is the promise from the risen Christ to us. Look at me. Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. Objectively, historically alive. It means this. He has resurrected from the dead. We have incredible historical account that he was dead and buried in a cold stone tomb for three days. And we have incredible historical record that says people's lives were incredibly changed just three days later, coming out of hiding to declare that Jesus Christ is not in the grave. He's robbed it. He's alive. He is present, church. He's, he's here. He's present with us. We felt and we are feeling, we are sensing his presence with us right now. The risen Christ is alive, never to die again. And that reality, it's the foundation of his promise that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Jesus is as alive and present with you and I today as he was in the early days of the church. 
The Holy Spirit is as alive and present with you and I here today as he was in the first days of the church. The Father is alive and present with us today in the same ways that he was present with us with the early church, that he was present with the people of the early church. God is present. Present tense. Here with us. Which means this. You and I, because he calls us to it, can seek him and can find him. This means that you and I can experience him. I remember many of the times when I encounter, when I experience the presence of God. They, they, they mark me. Some of them are, are subtle, a sense. Some of them are more powerful and overwhelming, taking words away, taking breath away. Do you remember the times that you have encountered the presence of God? If you have encountered his presence, you remember those times, some subtle, some not so subtle. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't know that you've encountered the presence of God. I want to encourage you to hang on. He calls you to seek him and to find him. What were the emotions that came over you when you experienced the presence of God, the reality that he was there with you in the moment? Where were you? When was the last time that it happened? Do you remember that? One of the ways that I know that I'm profoundly encountering the presence of God, it's goofy, it's my experience of him, but I get weepy. I get like I, a, a profound uh, sense of and weight of emotion sweeps over me. Uh, I, you can ask Meredith, people that know me well, I don't cry a lot. Like, but there are times when I like can't stop it. And there are times in the presence of God where I've wept, but they haven't been that many. But there are, what happens for me personally is my nose starts burning and my eyes well up with tears. They rarely will drop down my face, but I, I, I have a profound, there's, there's this settling of the presence of God that comes over me where I know that he's there with me. And often what he's doing with me is he's reading my mail. Like, he is revealing my heart to me in those moments. The depths of my heart. He's peeling back the layers. And he is showing me what I am made of. He's showing me the truth about who I am. And it's often not very pretty. But rarely when I experience the, the, the presence of God, when I am awakened to his presence in those moments, rarely, do, if ever, do I feel a sense of condemnation it's this odd sense of knowing, especially when he's correcting me and rebuking me. It's this odd sense of knowing my fallenness before him and, and, and having some knowledge of his holiness. And yet his presence is comforting. I feel in some ways like the disciples who when they encounter the presence of God or an angel, they fall down on their faces as dead men. And it's like the first thing that Jesus does to them in Revelation is he puts his hand out on their shoulder. And what does he say? Do not fear. It's what I sense when I am encountering the presence of God, that I, that I, I, 
I reverence him and I fear him, but the fear that I'm feeling, it's not the kind of fear that is dread and cover up because he's going to take me out at any moment. I experience simultaneously his holiness and his love, his care, his concern for me. For me, when I am awakened, when I become aware of the presence of God, it almost always happens in prayer. It almost always happens in moments of individual prayer. I'm just praying alone. Or I'm with people. I'm praying with people. I don't tend to be able to look back and say, I've experienced your presence more outside of prayer than in prayer. It's probably 90 to 1 in, in, in moments where I'm, I'm, I'm coming before him. I'm not prepping myself. I'm not cleaning it all up. I'm just like... Just, just rushing into his presence to give him what I've got or to get what I need. Do you long to live your life with an awareness of God's presence? Do you long to live your life within the comforting presence of God? Do you long for that? Do you long for the living word, the the words of the page of scripture? Do you love for the living word to spring to life in front of you and to nourish you? Do you long to understand it? Just to understand it. I just want to understand the thing. I don't know what's going on most of the time. Maybe that's you. And that's okay because we all start somewhere with God's word. Do you long for your anxious heart to settle in the presence of God. For your anxiousness to be spoken to by the God who is alive. Do you long for assurance that your past is reckoned for? Meaning that your past is forensically justified. Big words, Jared. Forensically means court of law. Your past is stamped not guilty. And there is no magic eraser that can take that ink off of the page. Do you long for an assurance that your past is covered? And not just that, but that the Father delights in you. You. The person in your skin. You long for that. Do you long to hear God speak to you in prayer? Do you long for him to answer your prayers right in front of your eyes while you still remember that you prayed them? Do you long for a desire to pray? And you recognize that I just don't really care. I don't have a desire. I know I should. The desire isn't there. Do you long for that? You recognize it isn't right and you long for it, but you don't know how to fix it and so you're stuck. Do you long to see your children, your parents, your siblings, your family, your friends see the glory and the reality of the risen Jesus and come to him and find life? Do you long for this, for the people around you that you love? I'm asking more questions. Let them settle in. Do you long for friendships? 
Do you long for friends? People that know you to the bottom and still show up. Do you long for restored relationships? Reconciliation. Do you long to receive forgiveness? Do you long to be able to give it, but you just find yourself unable, and yet you want it, but you keep holding on to the poison of bitterness? Do you long to break your addictions and no longer be a slave of those things? Whether it's food, or whether it's drink, or whether it's substance, or whether it's pornography, or whether it is your phone and media, Do you long for the things that they have said to you and the things that they have done to you to be healed by God's power and presence? I read a scripture to you earlier, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Jesus calls the people of the earth to come to him in order to find rest in order to find satisfaction for our weary souls. And he call, when he calls us to come, he doesn't just call us to come once. He calls us to come. Our, our, our coming to him is over and over and over and over and over again. The apostle John in John 10 would say, would ascribe these words to Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they do what? They follow me. So church, this is the question for us as the people of God. Will you come to Jesus Christ over and over and over again? Will you follow him to where and to what he is leading you toward? He's calling each one of us to a life of following him. That's what he calls us to. When he says, come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's calling each of us to a life of following him. And the only way for you and I to become Christ-like is to walk out, to walk the path that he walked. To literally walk it out. Luke 9.23 records these words of Jesus. If anyone would want, would want to be my disciple, would follow me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. The one who wants to gain his life will actually in this world will actually lose it. But the one who comes to me to find his life will find it. He's willing to lose his life in this world, but comes to me to find it. He will actually find it. And then the words that I read to you earlier from Matthew 28 and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who are just white knuckling it. All who are trying to find your way and fight for your way in this world, looking for satisfaction. He says, come to me. Those of you who are carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, the things that you can't control, you're still trying to control, and you find yourself saddled down with incredible weight. Jesus Christ calls you. He bids you to come to him for rest, to not come to the new thing, the new app, the new whatever it is to find rest, but to come to him personally to find 
find that rest. And he says, he promises it, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, which is like, if you picture oxen, they're being yoked to one another and the two of them are pulling a cart together. It's that wood thing that goes on their necks that he, he's calling us to yoke ourselves to him so that he can carry the weight of our lives. That yoke is the yoke of his guidance. It's the yoke of his training. It's the yoke of his teaching. It's the yoke of his presence with us. And then sandwiched in between two commas. I miss this all the time. What does he say right after that? He says, comma, and learn from me. Comma. Attach yourself to me. Abide in me and observe. Learn. Learn from me. Are you willing to learn from me? And he says, he's gentle with you. He knows you. He knows you to the bottom. He loves you. He knows you better than you know you. And he calls, he, he calls this out about his quality. I'm gentle. I will not break you. I will not put more upon you that I'm not willing to sustain through you. I am with you. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. That's the kind of teacher that we want to attach ourselves to. And he says, you will find rest. Finality here. You will find what you're looking for. Your restless heart will find its rest when it finds its rest in the risen Christ. Yes? Yes. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There will be work. There will be sweat. There will be toil. But the God of all creation is behind you and with you. A disciple is the apprentice to her master. A disciple is the apprentice to her master. One who is a disciple is learning a discipline as an apprentice from his master. This is for women. This is for men. An apprentice is one who is being formed in the practices of the one that they follow. Now, think about this, about the practices of Jesus. He himself is the good news who comes to us, who comes to humanity to declare good news. He himself is the good news who comes to declare the good news of God's favor for unworthy people like me and like you. And Jesus Christ is obsessed with the good news. Why do I say that? Because he gave his life to prove it. To prove that he is the good news and to pr prove that there is objectionably, really, truly good news for us. Think about this in the practice of Jesus' life. He is devoted to the scriptures. Why? Because all of the Bible is the story of God's presence among men. And all of the scriptures are food for the soul. From every, from, he says that the food of his father nourishes him. Jesus is devoted to the lifestyle of prayer and fasting, which for us, which for him, was the equivalent of barging into the Father's presence with incredible need. He's devoted and prioritizing Sabbath rest and silence and solitude. Why? So that he can calibrate his heart to live in an awareness, an ongoing awareness of the Father's presence, our Father's presence. Jesus, think about this, the practice of his life. He lives in fellowship with other God seekers and together what do they do? They have shared experiences in the Father's presence. 
Jesus served as well, and he gave his life to expose others to and to awaken them to God's presence. These are some of the practices. These are some of the the ways, the disciplines that we see Jesus giving himself to over the course of his life and certainly his public ministry over and over and over and over again. These weren't things that he just heaped onto his schedule. These were the things that carried him, that informed everything that he did in his life. They were the foundation of his life. Will we come to him? Will we follow him? Will we learn from him as disciples, as his church? Will you, even if everyone else does not? Who in this room has been meaningfully discipled in the ways of Jesus? Here's what I mean by that. You've been taught to pray. It's been modeled for you. You've been taught to read the scriptures. You've been taught to understand the scriptures. You've been taught to interpret the scriptures. You've been taught to uh, apply or you are being taught to apply the scriptures to your own life. That's been modeled for you. You've been taught about fasting and Sabbath. You've been taught and it's been modeled for you the need for fellowship and service and generosity. You've been taught even the benefits of silence. Raise your hand if you've been meaningfully discipled in the ways of Jesus and you know it. Higher. That's a lot of people. Are you all telling the truth? No, no, no. For real. Raise your hands. How many of you, keep them up. Come on, hang with me. It's not that hard. We're giving you some exercise. I'm oxygenating your blood right now. How many of you, If I asked you to pass on these practices to another person, feel confident that you could do it right now. I'm seeing hands go down. Sheepishly. There's a handful of us in the room. Many of us would say, praise be to God that we have been discipled meaningfully in the ways of Jesus. Many of us feel a great disconnect between the fact that we have received it and a call to then pass it forward and help other people learn what others have helped us learn. Another raising your hand moment. Who in the room, if your life were observed closely, could be able to say with some confidence that the spiritual disciplines in your life, the things that I've just named around Jesus, are are present in your life and growing? third of the room. Now, here's probably what's happening. You're recognizing something right now. You're hearing a voice. And it may very well be the voice of your enemy who is condemning you. And what you're hearing right now in this moment is that you're not doing enough. Any of us hearing that? Got a sense of got to buck up. 
I think that's a, a present reality for me that I, I hear that voice on the regular when I, when I assess things like this and I go, if somebody were to look in on my life right now, would they observe that the spiritual disciplines are present and growing in my life? And I immediately start to like try to shore up the, the weak spots and all of that and then start to do some gymnastics about around it. And if it's in things that I find myself <clears throat> failing in or that have not been present in my life or that I, I have a great sense of, <clears throat> of, uh, of just not doing well, I'll hear a, a, a voice and a, a, almost a spirit of condemnation. What the enemy says to us is that you're not doing enough. And I think that <clears throat> we're hearing the voice of our enemy, God's enemy, over the voice of our Lord. And the voice of our Lord says what? He says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And so I want to greatly encourage you to hold fast to that invitation to come to Christ where you recognize that things aren't where you want them to be. You don't have to buck up and do those things in your strength in order to come then into his presence and have him pleased with you. But he's telling you as you are, where you are, to come into his presence now and follow him, quote, learn from him, and he will show you the way forward. The voice of your Lord is inviting you with great gentleness, but a strong urge to come to him and to learn from him. The voice of your enemy needs to be rebuked that is saying, do more, try harder, be better. The practices, the spiritual disciplines, they're not something for us to add on to our already overloaded, overburdened schedules. <clears throat> and that's also where we go with them. I'm already so busy, right? I'm drowning. How am I going to do this and do that and do this and do that? What would it look like for you to wipe the entire slate of other people's expectations and your, most importantly, expectations for yourselves around these things and to begin to just wade in in a new way, giving yourself to the spiritual disciplines, things like the an emphasis on the word. Take away the like <clears throat> quiet time with Jesus over a serene cup of coffee when you've got four little people tugging on you the moment that you wake up in the morning. Like, put that to bed. What would it look like for you to escape <clears throat> into a bathroom with a door locked, and now you're inside the closet, inside the bathroom with a door locked? Five minutes, they'll be fine. I'll clean it up later. <clears throat> to just take a moment and to breathe in the presence of God. These are not things to add to our overly burdened schedules. These are ongoing practices that form you and I in Christ's likeness and cause us to be awakened to and to live in awareness of God's presence. And we are not going to go out and we are not going to saturate anything with good news if we ourselves are not saturated, abiding in the presence of Jesus as his disciples. Our first move is to receive him. And we won't even want it unless the Holy Spirit awakens this desire and sustains it in you and I for God's presence and for formation into Christ's likeness. You guys, <clears throat> there are ten times more, I'm, I'm done with my sermon, ten times more than I wanted to say, 
than I was able to say this morning is in my heart right now. There are all kinds of things I want to let you in on. I want to disclose for you. I want to tell you about my own personal journey. I want to encourage you to do. But what I, what I most need for us to do as a church is to, is to consider recalibrating the way and, and the motivation for which we gather together as a church and to consider what Jesus Christ is calling us to and to consider what it means to give ourselves to lives of discipleship so that we become formed in the presence of God people that then wherever we live, work, and play can go and can be an abiding presence and representation of Jesus Christ to the people around us. If we are not ourselves saturated with the good news, I don't want to send anybody to the inland northwest and the nations to try to do it in your own strength because it's going to wound and crush you and it's going to wound and crush them. Our first move, if we want to see anything like this happen, is to is to call upon God himself and ask the Spirit to awaken us to his presence and to give us a desire to live in his presence and to give us an ongoing uh, willingness to quiet our hearts before him and to ask him questions like, what's next? What do you have for me now? What do you want me to say? Who do you want me to talk to? How do you want me to spend my time today? That's our first move. And so there's going to be more coming. I don't have a great plan. Actually, what I want from you is I want ongoing conversations between yourselves and with me and, and, and others. Like, has God been stirring a desire to be formed in the way of Christ, to be, to be taught how to read the scriptures, to be taught and, and, and encouraged to pray with other people, to be taught what it means to fast, to be taught what it looks like and the benefit of silence and solitude, to, to be taught about the Sabbath, which we have totally just like jettisoned as evangelicals in the United States. People use it as a law. There are churches and denominations that that look at Sabbath as law. You have to do it, you have to do it, you have to do it. The Sabbath was made for the man, Jesus said, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was actually designed by God, commanded by God, to keep his people at rest and awakened in his presence. It's good for us. It's hard for us because we're Americans and we love to produce and scroll and stay busy, baby. So silence is scary. Solitude is scary. For young moms in the room, like, how am I even going to do that? You're probably thinking to yourself. What would it look like for the church to come together and to make ways for us to pursue disciplines? Does the family of God come around moms of young kids and dads and just say like, hey, we're going to create some space here so that you can just go. And we want you to go like no Fred Meyer, no target, like open the scriptures, even if you stare at them blankly and just give yourself to the process of opening yourself up to the kind heart of God. Here's what I want us to do together as a church. If you're new with us, we love the fact that you're here. We're glad that you're here. We want you to engage with us. If you don't feel comfortable, uh, we're not going to push you out and make you feel uncomfortable. You, uh, we want, I want you to just sit where you are. I want you to just observe. I want you to just be as comfortable as you can possibly be in this moment. But what, what I want us to do is just spend five minutes together as the congregation of God in some stillness and some quietness. If your kids are going rambunctious in the room, I'd love for you to just like, just move them out real quick. We love that they're here, but I want 
to create some space for, uh, for some quietness and some stillness. The people of God asking some things. I've got a, a slide up on the screen. These are some questions for you to just pray where you are. Awaken us, Holy Spirit, to the reality of God's presence. Fill us, Holy Spirit, to seek your presence. Equip us, Holy Spirit, to form us into Christ's likeness. This is a prayer for you. This is a prayer for your church, the people around you. What do you want us, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to embody? What do you want us to do? Here's a request real quick. Dads, if you've got kids, take your kids. If you're going to move them out of the room right now, let mom stay. And if they're quiet and if they're just hanging out, we want them here. But if, you know, if you feel like you need to, you need to move them out, go ahead and do that. Additionally, if you're willing, if you've got people around you that you're comfortable with and you want to just kind of group up and pray these things together corporately out loud, imagine that. Would you be willing to do that even? I want us to just take. It's 11.22 right now. We're going to take until 11.27. As soon as I come back up here, band, I want you guys to, to roll up here and let's just pray together as a church and ask him for these things that we see on the screen. Father, help us pray. Father, honor our prayers this morning. We are humbling ourselves before you. The, the quantity of our prayers is not as important as the quality of our prayers before you. Help our restless hearts find their rest in you. Awaken us to your presence, Holy Spirit. Help us to give ourselves to a life of discipleship that's costly but finds abundant rest in the midst of it. And preach, Holy Spirit, the good news to weary hearts all week long, all month long, all year long, until the day that we meet you face to face. Make us a good news, gospel people that just cannot help but saturate the areas that we find ourselves in with the good news of Jesus, because we can't help but speak of how good you've been to us. We love you. You're for us, not against us. You've called us to yourself, and we're grateful people. Form us into Christ's likeness through your power and presence. In Christ's name, amen.